Welcome to episode 336 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined this week by my uh, original co-host, Peter. (laughs) 100% genuine. Um, No no fakes. I was not cloned. I am not here as a clone. I was never a clone. Um, This joke is a clone. It's the inferior to the what's the original joke? I don't know. But I, this I joke has no a shorter idea. life than a clone. It's just flash aging. Anyways, <laughs> we're gonna get off of this topic. We're gonna talk about I'm glad. <laughs> we're off to a great start. Um on this, the uh the firm epi- the firm lemonade episode of the cast. It's not hard lemonade, it's not soft lemonade. It's it's just firm started lemonade. to turn. So it tastes bad, but it's not alcoholic. (laughs) The best of both worlds. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and we are uh, we're drinking we're drinking this firm lemonade in in a spooky castle. Spooky Transylvania. We missed our flight out of Transylvania from uh, last week, so we had to take the yeah. We missed the planes. uh, We missed the trains. Yeah, the train, I mean, it, it, it'll take you straight from Transylvania to New York. However, um, it's a, quite a long cycle, as you can imagine, going across the entire Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. So we had to wait a week, and luckily we were able to uh, bum a room off of this uh, Frankenstein guy. Frederick Frankenstein. <laughs> the young Frankenstein. Um, that's our movie. Young Frankenstein's keeping with uh, we never actually do this in October because normally there's some other bullshit that gets in the way, but we're actually keeping to the Halloween adjacent movies for the month of October. It's amazing, and then Black Adam comes out to ruin that <laughs> next week. Although, well, I was gonna say maybe that'll scare us in a different way, but I, I have no indications that this movie is going to be trash. Uh, trash, no, but also I have no indications that it's going to be any good either. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have one decent scene in the trailer, and then I have several uh, up and down scenes and one very cringe scene. Yeah, all I, all I want is for for the Rock to he does the eyebrow and a car explodes. Uses his uses his magic eyebrow. I can't do the eyebrow. I'm, I don't I can try. I don't know that I want that. I don't think I want. Um, ideally, when I watch the film, um, I will not refer to him as the Rock. I will refer to him as Black Adam. Reason would be leading me to believe that that will not be how it goes down, but. They'll, Ideally, I want that. I don't want them to to lean into <laughs> him being the Rock. <laughs> I'm I'm really trying to remember who what the name of the actor who plays Doctor Fate is. Now, don't say it because I'm okay. currently bouncing in my brain between Roderick Strong and Chadwick Boseman. It's some polymerization of those names. Um, 
Except it really isn't. <laughs> what? You're telling my, me my synthesis of two absolutely random, vaguely English-sounding names is off, is off the mark? Uh, yes. Uh, it's Pierce Brosnan, and I'm not entirely certain he's English. Okay. <laughs> he might be Welsh. Broadman um, Bros. Well, let's see. Pre- Pierce Broadman, an Irish actor. So, yes, he is not English. In fact, he would probably take great offense to you calling him English. It's true. <laughs> Might take more offense to me call, miss calling him Dennis Rodman. <laughs> I thought you were between Roderick Strong and Chadwick Boseman. There's a third player in here. <laughs> it's a wild card. <laughs> You need at least three data points to get a good, a good set. <laughs> Look, um, I'm not saying I'm bad at Hangman. I'm just saying I have the high score. <laughs> and dad jokes. That's uh, right. Um, dads are married to women, and women are, are talking on... Trey Watch. On Trey Watch. This trailer-type segment. Uh, on our show and there there's there's a few there's a few this week there's there's a couple big ones i don't know good can you kurt can you tell me what is going on this week in october like i feel like this week is the week that everyone collectively said nothing's going on time to dump that thing that i've been working on i don't know um none of these movies are, are coming out anytime soon i don't think Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- this is a, a large influx of trailers at a time of the year where the movie industry is not known to be particularly busy. Uh, this is kind of the lull. This is where the, you, you dump out all your fucking shitty spooky fiend mu- movies to mm-hmm. get that Halloween bump. Spooky movies because... and I guess now film like, uh, film festival films. That showed at the end of the summer film festival season. Yeah, so we're we're in between the summer blockbuster season and the winter like award season. Yeah, so you kind of you're starting like a lot of these movies are coming out December, January. So these are movies that had been shown at a film festival, have now been purchased by a studio. And are being mm-hmm. submitted for award consideration, or these are the the studio movies that they have shot with the intention of baiting an award. Right. It's uh, it's the food chain. It's the movie food chain, and these are the calories that move along it. Um, such as in this movie, it's it's a it's about it's about women. There are only women in the trailer, and um. Main star here is Frances McDormand, who I remember as the crazy witch lady from um, from Macbeth. I never saw that movie. I haven't seen it yet. I still want to. I'll put it on the list of things I want to do. The list I, I could climb Mount Everest with, but um, I did see the one clip. I saw the clip that she was in when at the beginning of the movie when they first encounter the witch, and she did. She she did great physical performance. She was like waving her little arms around like a little crow. She's like, Rah! and she's like doing yoga. Oh, it was great. Okay. Uh, well, this movie, 
according to uh, the description of the trailer here, uh, the synopsis provided, women in an isolated religious colony struggle to reconcile with their faith after a series of sexual assaults. And uh, my digging into, it's a book adaptation. Um, Mm -hmm. And my digging into this revealed an an interesting uh, historical tidbit, if true, big if true. Um, Mm -hmm. Philip Unger, two days ago, uh, posted a comment to anyone wondering, this film is based on the ghost rapes of Bolivia that occurred in old colony Mennonite settlements. Bolivian Mennonites, yes. I did not world, imagine. Known the world over. The, fa- the famous Bolivian Mennonites. I encourage yeah, anyone to learn more about these events and the culture that still exists today. Um, for Do you think whatever they- reason, I didn't find anything particularly offensive with this trailer other than it was... It's It's got a very strong color grading on it. Yeah, it's just kind of... I mean... It, it was there. It, it's generic, um, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. Now I now <laughs> see. Generic. Now I ask, like, if Mennonites like go on vacation, do they like go to like international Mennonite um, other places? Aren't you only supposed to leave the colony on Rumspringa? Or do Mennonites do Rumspringa? I, I know, know they drive vans. <laughs> It's the the one distinguishing fact. No, uh, let's let's get our let's get our Mennonite facts on. Um, uh, well, you go to factsking.com. MennoniteFacts.net.gov. I will point um, out that this movie is actually made by Orion and United Artists, um, the same production house that put out such hits as Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um. This movie, however, is not pulling super high. It's yeah. got a 550 up to 770 down ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the the director is the same person who did Nomadland. Oh, and uh, everyone's favorite Marvel movie, The Eternals. I see. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what that meant when I was like, oh, I see. I actually don't see it all because I didn't see any of the, either of those. Um, um, Nomadland won an award, and Eternals made me fall asleep. Yeah, um, and Rumspringa does not happen in in the Mennonite uh, okay. society. I apologize to all the Mennonites who might be listening to this <laughs> podcast. Do Mennonites listen to podcasts? I think they Wait, just no. like embrace modern technology for like running mm-hmm. their businesses. So, so I look. I was looking up do Mennonites do Rumspringa, and it popped up my old my old searches, which you know, since most of them are generated by this show, is <laughs> are varied and different. And the second one that pops up in this was the do New Mexicans have cloacas, and I my brain conferred the two. It's like do Mennonites have cloacas. <laughs> It's I like, remember who, that who discussion on whether or not <laughs> Namekians had cloacas. I think our, our final determination was perhaps not because they spit out their eggs. Yes. It seems to all come out of one orifice. 
oh, here we go. <laughs> I didn't think this would actually yield anything, but I have found it. Um, from from blog.feedspot, um, the, the 40 best Mennonite podcasts. Are these podcasts about Mennonites, podcasts for Mennonites, or podcasts by Mennonites? Podcasts by Mennonites. And before, you know, I will, I will, uh, I'll squash this butter before it churns, but um, they're pretty much all just uh, church broadcasts. I, I'm Turns out the world makes this. sense. And the Mennonites would use podcasts so they could display their church services. Who'd have thunk? Uh, for any of those interested, though, in the rankings, the Mennonite Church podcast rankings. Number one, baby, is the West Union Mennonite Church Sermons in Parnell, Iowa. The center, the center of the country, the top of the charts. I can't wait to read all the complaints about how we got sent on a fucking 10-minute sidebar about Mennonites based on a YouTube comment on a trailer that may or may not involve Mennonites. <laughs> The theoretical Mennonites <laughs> sipping their firm lemonade. <laughs> How in the the sweltering heat. The sweltering the, Bolivian heat. This, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's quite warm in Bolivia. It's pretty close to the equator. You know where it's I not warm? <laughs> yeah. You know where it's not warm? New York City on Christmas. Now, oh, now this Christmas. is a place that people don't usually go. Especially not at Christmas. I don't there's think there's been never any footage been, recorded of a New York, New York City on Christmas time. There has never been a single piece of media put out about Christmas in New York City. It is completely untrodden ground. So thank God for Spirited for uh, for breaking out of the mold here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Will Ferrell himself a newcomer to uh both new york city based and christmas movies um <laughs> thanks apple tv <laughs> really glad we can count on you for groundbreaking content yeah i mean coda uh, award-winning movie mm -hmm. uh portraying a uh very underrepresented group in in media and then uh they're spirited <laughs> Uh, the the most noteworthy thing about this is it's a musical starring Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Now, the reason I know this is going to fail is not because of anything. It's in the trailer. Um, or, you know, the performances are fine. The setting looks fine. The production looks fine. But this is a musical adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And uh, I'm sorry to say, Apple TV, uh, that's been done. The Muppets beat you to it. <laughs> And I'm sorry, too bad. I guess you can't quite get Kermit on this one. You can't beat the Muppets. I understand that you can't license from Disney Muppets yeah. Christmas Carol. I can't, I actually can't believe that Ryan Reynolds has never like done a Muppet like collab. I feel like he would be like, if they did another it. season of Muppets now, I have a feeling he may have found his way onto there because mm -hmm. you know he works heavily with the house of mouse house of mouse owns the muppets so yeah natural cross-brand synergy there it's right there what do you think all right one quick divergence and then we go 
Um, what do you think the next, like, if the Muppets kept doing their literary adaptations, what do you, what would be the next good one? Like, it doesn't even have to be, like... I'm not even trying to, like, set up a joke here. No, I'm no, just, like, no. genuinely I, I know curious, you're like, not. You're genuinely asking me, but because I'm such an asshole, the first one that popped into my head was of Mice and Men. <laughs> it's one of the actual mice. Rizzo. Rizzo is George. Animal is Lenny. <laughs> oh, that's... that. Now that's a rab- that's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down to is like the the deeply mature, like the mature <laughs> literary adaptations. Like I'm not. I don't need to. I'm I'm not interested in Muppets. Why the caged bird sings? <laughs> Muppets catcher in the rye. Muppets all all quiet on the Muppet front. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I could maybe. <laughs> Maybe uh, Muppets Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If you yeah. want to do a, a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, nineteen forty-two or nine. Yeah. How many Muppet literary adaptations have there been? You know, it's Treasure Island, the, of course. I think it's just been the two. Christmas Carol, yeah. So, but uh, they were both of, bangers. So they were. I'm, I'm really surprised they never kept going with it. Maybe it's uh, hard to secure the rights to these public domain stories. <laughs> you know what? I'll just throw it out there. Muppet Dune. <laughs> and it's and instead of the shy halud, it's uh, it's a giant Oscar the Grouch coming out of a, a desert trash can. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, rights issues be damned. Uh, make it I happen. I really want Muppet Dune now. Wait a minute. Hold on. I just had a, a brainwave, right? So okay. we agree that Disney owns the Muppets. Yes. Am I misremembering or was the not so not too late show or not so late show starring Elmo? Was that an HBO Max original? I I think so before they um because that's have breaking over. my brain there. That's <laughs> The not so late show, where to watch? Um, Prime Video or Apple TV? Oh, so, so neither of our guests. That's well, wait, it, it is on it. It was on HBO Max. I think. Okay. Maybe it moved. I don't know. So I guess that was just a licensing thing. Like oh they yeah, it isn't programming. It's no longer an HBO Max. The link isn't right. working. So. Yeah, shit shuffles off of HBO Max with alarming frequency. It usually comes back, but like you go down to the the leaving this month, and it's like eight movies that Warner Brothers owns. I'm like, why the fuck are these leaving? <laughs> you have the right Warners. What are you doing? Or should I say, Discovery Warners? Yeah, Warner Discovery, which uh, has uh, continued its corporate downsizing and now has uh, ousted pretty much uh, most of the people who were running Cartoon Network. God, that's that is nuts. It's only a shell. It's gonna be a shell of its former self. You won't even get. Well, two... 
I think we're we're maybe jumping the gun, presuming anything about what it's going to be no, in get, the end here. They're getting rid of Adult Swim. They're getting rid of Cartoon Network. They're getting rid of Toonami. You won't, and they're moving it all to streaming. So you got to see One Piece Film Red, trailer number <laughs> one. <laughs> that would have been a good transition if that were actually a trailer this week. Instead, we'll talk about oh, the Oh, that inspection. wasn't a trailer this week? Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't have it. It's on uh, it's on RT trailers. It was, it's between it's between Astro Stargazer Astroscope and and the new trailer summary. Did these these okay, no, nothing has dropped that recently. I was about to say did these drop like in between me getting on and you getting on. No. It's like it was it wasn't it was less than seven days ago. That's that's my metric for finding this shit. Yeah, that's usually what um, I do, but I guess I didn't. Hey guys, so let me, let me let me run this by you. Um, hey guys, One Piece, the One Piece movie is real, and um, and it stars an idol. They, they just put an idol. Like you're gonna be a character in this, and you're gonna be the it's it's anime movie, right? Where they take here's this character that may or may not ever be in the canon ever again, and they're gonna be the star character of this movie. So we'll develop their character and have the rest of the cast just kind of do their thing around it. I guess. I mean, what? <laughs> I'm going to offend a lot of people, but I've, I've said much worse things about anime. But who could possibly still care about One Piece? <laughs> the f- like, it is it is wild when I'm on Reddit and like chapter uh, like chapter 1092 drops and it's on the front page without fail i don't i don't get like there's no way it can still be interesting after that long a period of time i feel like at at that scale you like it just becomes you're not even like it's not even like the one piece story it's a bunch of different series in what is at this point a larger canon like it's like if you're trying to say like all of the star wars movies we're like one show. You're like, no, this, these are distinctly different things happening. It's big enough that you can you can parse them out a little bit. But I, I, I they separate them by arcs. That's my only. Right. Well, I mean, that's kind of standard in manga and anime, right. right? You categorize it by story arc. They have, and they, I, I would wager they have a lot of arcs. Um, certain I, I, I could not get past the fucking. Uh, I don't know what arc it was in terms of number, but like the crocodile one was just it was too it was just too much desert mm-hmm. for way too long a time. I couldn't make it through it. Of course, that was that was around the time where I was get tiring of of manga in general and letting my Shonen Jump subscription lapse. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure the like the thing that like boggles my mind is like when I catch some of the um uh catch some of like the discussion about it. Apparently like most of the manga, like a good chunk of it takes place and by a good chunk I mean like seven seven hundred, eight hundred chapters takes place in the span of like five months. Alright. So anyone who likes one piece but has ever criticized the five minutes of uh, the fight with Frieza in Dragon Ball Z, 
you can uh, go ahead and fuck off. <laughs> I'm gonna, Kurt. I'm gonna share with you the uh, the in-universe timeline of events to just to contrast what I understand to be the actual timeline of present day, you know, present term events that happen in the show or the the manga. This world timeline has like a fucking full-on history, like five thousand years of events. <laughs> That I well, have to I'm, assume are all based on flashbacks, like well, or just like a character mentioned this, like the tree of knowledge was planted by the ancient people, or I can see that being a single line of dialogue in a single panel, and mm-hmm. like them throwing it on that timeline because anime fanatics are fanatics. Yeah. Um. That is that is quite a lot. Of stuff but i suppose uh any any series that went on for a thousand iterations would have quite dense lore it's it, it's deep and i don't even know if this is the first movie i don't think it is it, it couldn't possibly be otherwise they would just call it one piece the movie yeah one piece movies how many okay yes okay there's like seven 10 okay, 20 yeah. that that tracks a little little better um what else do we have this week we have megan which m3 gen oh jesus the fucking dancing is destined to become a meme yep i think i think this is gonna do is gonna be an if an effective movie for what they want it to be which is and by they i mean blumhouse of course um in that this is a like some pretty schlocky horror. They're not yeah. they're definitely not aiming to scare anyone with this, I don't think. Um I don't know. I feel this kind of in terms of like plot is basically the uh child's play remake. Just gender swapped. Because I guess that's where we're at in society yeah. now. <laughs> um I mean, yeah, it's not I think it's the intent is to be scary, yeah. Um, but to also be memeable because that's important yes. now. I suppose this is, this is dancing that is on par with with Morbius and the and the uh, the have sex dance sequence. <laughs> have yeah. sex, have sex. Um, who plays? The doll lady, because I'm pretty sure how this happened was they were fucking around and like the CGI crew at Blumhouse was fucking around and they hit the enlarge eyes button on one of the actors and they're like, oh, that could be a movie. And the head of the department was like, yes, that's going to be a movie. Thank you. Here's your $5 gift card to Subway. Speaking of Blumhouse, where's our gift card? Yeah, we've we've given you so many ideas over the years. I need a $25 gas card for the car I don't own and a single Heath bar. Well, Make it happen. Yeah, I have a $25 gas card. I, I hate that like gas cards are only sold for like ExxonMobil, which is consistently $0.14 cents above the average price of gas in your area. <laughs> so I it's know. like, geez, thanks, I guess. <laughs> I have to buy the most expensive gas. <laughs> really, this really valuable. Twenty five bucks is gonna go real far. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, this movie is it's gonna be goofy. We, I I want someone to clip all the goofy dancing and running on all fours. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got to think that this is a genuine attempt because uh, we live in a world where the Bye Bye Man was a, a studio's bet on the next great horror franchise. <laughs> but it was the Bye Bye Man. See, that's the other thing. It's like they're setting, they're also setting this up for their own demise like this it's already limited they know it's a failure because how what happens after megan 2 like what are you going to call it you already put three in the title that's true no planned sequel so no. even if you like it sucks <laughs> to suck i guess the franchise management of the megan franchise is already it's already subpar it's in the tits man Thank God that Netflix. Make any sense. Thank God Netflix already greenlit the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of Netflix, yeah. they made another Enola Holmes movie, and I guess this is the second trailer for this, despite there definitely not being a first trailer. Yeah. Um, well, that's not the only time where we've seen the trailers be released out of order. It's not the only one we're going to be talking about. Um, no. Uh, the the inspection the inspection released its Thank teaser you. trailer now you can remember us talking about the actual trailer um weeks ago months perhaps who um, knows um, but here it is teasing it's us it's not for new <laughs> what could and this what is could really more of a trailer? featurette with uh, gabriel union explaining to us what this movie is about uh because we can't hit the little drop down in the description box of the trailer and read that. You know, you got to fill time in that, in those newbie segments between, I suppose that's true. This is definitely shooting popcorn with your fucking spaceship on your phone. Definitely a, a a newbie segment for sure. I never thought I'd say that I missed the, the cheap ass movie trivia before movies, but, but here we are. Thanks. Enola Holmes too. Trailer number two. Also featuring the inspection. Um, (laughs) But let's let's talk about the real main event here. All right. The movie that you've all wanted to see. So face off, John Travolta, Nick Cage. It's pretty cool, right? Mm -hmm. But that was back when both of those guys were serious actors. I know the dream match that everyone has wanted now is uh, post-fanatic John Travolta and uh, possibly Bruce Willis's digital twin. <laughs> Cannot be certain. <laughs> it's, it's the machine-learning duo we always wanted. Um, in this trailer for Paradise City, in which no one plays uh, Paradise City. No one plays Do you know it. how expensive the rights of that song would be? <laughs> it's true. Cost more than any actor in this film. That um, the bonus thing of having, of, uh, you know, <laughs> of the process of mechanizing Bruce Willis and having <laughs> John Travolta, who is still, uh, still re- relatively, uh, spry, um, is that we can have, uh, like actual scenes with them in it and them doing dialogue. Yes. Yeah, so a whole two of them in the trailer. I, that's nuts. Like that's crazy. They they have banter. 
Uh, it's like we're moving backwards, right? Before, before you know, back in the 80s, you know, even before the AVP crossovers, like when a crossover was a special thing, that's where I'm going back to. I'm like, oh, they're in the same movie and they're talking to each other. <gasps> yeah, this is definitely um, Pacino and uh, De Niro and Heat levels of hype. Yeah. This is this is my personal Infinity War. Because <laughs> I'm going to be fighting it forever. So go check out Bruce Willis's digital twin. And as Peter put it, the spry 68-year-old John Travolta. <laughs> I, I made this joke before we started. But um, yeah, like it, this is Sabin Films. There's a couple of Sabin Films out here. I think um, On the Line, which we'll talk about next, is also a Sabin Film. Um, but they are just... They're, they not even just the boomer like the the boomer movie uh distributor they are like the 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 cin- they're a cinematic uh retirement facility <laughs> where where all the aging actors can still be guaranteed their lead roles and get in their not, their required amount of movies every year <laughs> to keep their sag keep their sag card and um support their family Saban will help you do it. Haim Saban has got your back. Uh, speaking of on the line, on the line, which is the na- the trailer for the movie named On the Line, uh, starring Mel Blanc, Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson's getting uh, getting extra work in this year. Um, he's been in a whole three movies, so yeah. Hollywood has. Uh, Yep, that is a Saban film. So this is this is like the same setup and structure as like Hot Seat, at least to start. I mean, just like the fact that he's, I say that because there's a man sitting in a chair. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like Hot Seat. It's kind of like fucking. Uh, I don't know, literally. The, it it does feel very cliche. Like I guess a the lot setup, of movies have done this sort of thing. Like. You, your fucking mm-hmm. twelve rounds, your uh, speed, your uh, lethal weapon two toilet scene, your um, I saw, like I so, guess uh, yeah, truth plot. or dare, mm-hmm. um, the Batman, <laughs> yeah, like this is so the plot. If you can't splice it together from all those movies the you plot haven't is, pieced it together from these numerous examples with largely the same plot yeah uh bell gibson is radio man it's it's what if howard stern got entrapped to saw live on air um because a, a scary killer man took his wife and now he's got to play a little game and it's gonna relate to i guess probably the backstory of the killer and why he hates um Mel Brooks. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Well, I can think of a few reasons why you might hate Mel Gibson, <laughs> depending upon his faith. <laughs> um, yeah, like maybe it's a like it's an interesting setup, I guess. Um, they didn't. The thing is, they just didn't take it anywhere, right? Like, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it's a, a horror film that or a thriller that is set in a radio station and takes place live on air. That's yeah. That's maybe I an mean, interesting premise. Kind of. I mean, yeah. I mean, for a whole movie. Sure. 
there's there's a scene similar to that in V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. It's um, it, you could kind of do something like Speed, right? Where like <laughs> one of the myriad examples we listed out of this exact same movie. Yeah, like um, you know, Mel uh, Mel Gibson has to like keep the killer on the line and keep him talking while the cops have to find his location. You know, something like that. I mean, I don't know how you stretch that over 90 minutes, but. I'm sure they could. <laughs> They're making this movie. I mean, it actually doesn't look like complete dog water. The one thing I will give Mel Gibson over some of these other, uh, you know, Del Boca Vista retirement actors <laughs> is Mel Gibson still puts in the effort. Like, mm-hmm. he, he really, he thinks he's in, in the picture still. He still thinks he's a big star. He's, he thinks this is going to be a Braveheart. on the silver screen. A Braveheart-level movie, and he needs to bring his A-level performance. Um, and I respect him for that. He brings that, that same energy to all these shitty movies that he's in these <laughs> days. Yeah. Um, can we say the same for Russell Crowe in Poker Face? The Lady Gaga story. <laughs> Starring Russell Crowe as Lady Gaga. Mm, cherry, cherry, boom, boom. Gaga. Gaga. Uh, Russell Crowe is uh, less heavy than he's been in the last couple of movies I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. But uh, still doesn't quite look like Russell Crowe. I've, he's he's on that long trek back for Gladiator 2. <laughs> a big rebound. Which is a real movie. <laughs> That's really coming out. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Gladiate more. That's the subtitle. Uh, this movie is could could have been a bottle movie, but then they didn't want to do that. Uh, so the premise is Russell Crowe is like he has a history, and these other guys in this poker game have histories. <laughs> And he's got to, like, extract information out of them or something. He's got to do a mission. He's got to do a spy thing. And they're playing at this poker game, so he poisons them. But then, like, other people come in, and they have to, like, defend against them in, like, a home invader situation. And because it's a home invader situation, uh, his daughter shows up inexplicably (laughs) so that we can have stakes. I'm watching this trailer as you're explaining it, and the timing is perfect. Because as you're explaining these things... the the elements of what you were describing they appear on my screen. Right so, like, it sounds incomprehensible what, how they're gonna make what, how they're gonna make this work. Um, and also, this is I should also note before any of this. First thing I saw was uh, distributed by Chicken Soup for the Soul Pictures. Yeah, I remember we we discovered them. They'd put out something else that was a little more artsy than this. Uh, this actually has a pretty um, decent cast for a movie that I've never like that doesn't seem like it would track with that I mean it's not like loaded with star power you have Liam Hensworth yes. who's at least moderately famous um, Russell Crowe obviously Daniel McPherson um, RZA <laughs> yep who has who has been in some pretty big he's, movies he's, he's, he's a screen actor he he uh and he's also i think written a couple 
Oh, you know what he's doing? He directed and probably also helped write the uh, Wu-Tang American Saga on uh, Hulu. That would make I sense. I still haven't watched the second season of. I should I should do that at some point. Figure it out. So but, that's Poker Face. Yep. Uh, who else do we do? We have anyone else? Uh, there's Daniel the trailer McPherson. for. Yeah. We, um, we close the book on that one. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, it's Poker Face. I, fold. <laughs> gonna move on. Um, <laughs> Roll Tall's Matilda, the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, it it does not look particularly good to me. Um, it's a musical, and I don't know that Matilda's best suited for a musical, especially one that uh, mm-hmm. has I, such grandiose imagery. Yeah, um, Matilda musical because I think this might be an adaptation of an existing Broadway production. I see. Um, yes, this. So it did have like a a Broadway uh, run. Yes, but did in it? Broadway, you are uh, by its very nature limited in in what mm-hmm. uh, can be put onto the stage. Uh, this has taken the freedom that the film medium provides and gone fucking crazy with it. Yeah. Which I don't know really appropriately suits the tone and tenor of of the story. But I don't, yeah, I, I, I was never big into Matilda. I know Danny DeVito's in that movie. Mm-hmm. And everyone loves Danny DeVito and a lot of people like Matilda. It's one of their favorite movies as a kid. I just found it impossible to sit through. It is. I think it's part of, like, in recent years, maybe the last last decade, I feel, I want to say, like, Broadway adaptations. So, like, how movies have adapted books, so, too, are Broadway, uh, is Broadway plays adapting movies. Because I think a lot of it was driven by, like, Lion King the Musical, I think right. that flows both ways. Could be. Could very well be. Like Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. Um, um, so, like, you have Heather is the musical. I, I think I, I went on this fucking... I went down this road before, right? You have, like, Heather's the musical. You have the Spider-Man turn off the dark. Um, well, saying that that's based on a movie is a bit of a stretch. Fair. Um, but, yes, the, to your point, I have noticed... In my trips to the city, um, a lot of musicals being Shrek the musical, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, I just here there there aren't the a lot 30, of good writers anymore. <laughs> the thirty, oh no, the thirty best film to musical adaptations. Number thirty, Silence the musical, The Silence of the Lambs, uh, mo- movie. Musical spoof you know adaptation. What? I actually I feel like I remember yeah. that being a thing. Uh, seven Bride, Seven Brothers, Spam a Lot, Aladdin, American Paris, Newsies, Carnival, Kinky Boots. Newsies was a movie? Uh, huh? Newsies was originally a movie? Yeah. Eight 
Um, it flopped in like 1992, so they said, uh, we'll make it a thing. Um, there's there's a lot of like Xanadu, the full, the full mo- no, you can't Wait, make the full Monty f- into a fucking stage play. How exactly would you make Xanadu into a stage play? Do you know how much rollerblading or roller skating is in Xanadu? I don't. Like, so much. <laughs> um, playwright Douglas Carter Beans. Sparkling Camp Frolic builds a guilty pleasure palace from the ruins of a ludicrous 1980 Olivia Newton John flick about a roller skating Greek muse. That hurts my brain to say that sentence. Uh, illuminated by a bright electric light orchestra score. So it's like a jukebox musical for ELO. And by original stars Carrie Butler and Cheyenne Jackson. This affectionate send-up of Hollywood schlock is swell on wheels. Um, My Bill, girlfriend would Billy be quite Elliot. upset with that oh, reviewer. Yeah, the producer. She loves Xanadu. Yeah. I should, maybe I should watch that, too. Wait, was Hairspray a fucking movie before it was a musical? No, that's that can't be right. They made a movie with Ricky Lake, but I'm almost certain that the show had its original run on Broadway before that. I I have to imagine. Same same with Newsies. Like I'm almost a hundred percent sure, despite being an expert in no way when it comes to Broadway musicals, that that was a musical first. Hairspray. Let's see. Was Hairspray Hairspray a movie or musical first? Um, to just to round things off, the the top one is Little Shop of Horrors on the list for on graded on whatever scale this guy just decided to do. Um, just his favorites, probably. Yeah. No, no, it was a it was a 1988 John Waters film first. Really. Yeah, and then it was a 2002 Broadway musical. I thought, I swore it was older than that. And then they made the movie adaptation of the musical. Yeah, I could have sworn that the fucking movie was older than that, too. Like, right. Was Ricky Lake still a star in the late 80s? (laughs) Well, if if it's a John Waters production, that's a. Yeah, I mean, mean, that tracks. Like,. I 100% believe that Hairspray is a John Waters movie. Um, yeah. Um, wait. That was... Let's see. John Waters have been friends with David. Um, Teresa Turnblad went to a then-unknown actress at the time named Ricky Lake. So this was... This was a breakout role for hmm. Ricky Lake. Well, 19- I'm I'm showing my ignorance on a number of levels. <laughs> I this was a learning experience for all of us. Um, and that's Matilda, a learning was, experience. Yeah, that was my uh, my worst. I knew I remember Jerry Stiller was in that movie. Yeah. Um, um quick shout out, Wendell and Wild. It's more more trailer. They're I think they're trying to market it like a comedy. When like looking at the things in the trailer, it really doesn't feel that way. They're not trying to, like, the movie isn't that kind of movie. Um, that's, that's what it is. Um, I Do you want to do, do you want to talk about Velma or do you want to talk about Super Mario Bros? We got to talk about Velma first. We talked about Super Mario Bros. last week. Oh, okay. So we can talk about Velma. 
Um, I don't know what this trailer is trying to do. It's trying to do a lot, but I don't know what it's trying to do. I, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why, why this movie exists. Mm -hmm. Um, That might sound harsh, but like what, what market is this serving? (laughs) I feel like it's the market of people who watched Harley Quinn. I I don't know why. I just get that sense. Um, Maybe I just think it's like adult oriented animated uh, show with female protagonist. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of it. Um, Yeah, this. uh, Well, first of all, they played the they played right out of the Disney book with the uh, with the easy controversy bait. Or like right yeah. out of the Ghostbusters 2016 book, where they're like, I well, they're gonna make her, I guess, like the the big controvert the fa- the non-troversy, should say, is that like they made Velma like not white, black. I don't know. I would say black based on appearance, but you I know, really obviously, can't tell. the hair um, is not. You know the hair. Hair is white girl hair, right? Um, the the thing was like up to this point, I was under the assumption. Like I, I read some comments and I agreed. We talked about this before that she was like they were going for like a, a Hispanic thing. With in her. Scoob, she was definitely Hispanic. You yeah. know this because they had her say "increíble" once in the entire movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I think this is. I think this is. Velma doing as like as a Mindy Kaling self insert. Yeah, so Mindy Kaling voices Velma here, and I guess maybe Velma's supposed to be Indian to more reflect Mindy Kaling. Is she Indian or is she Pakistani? I I wouldn't know. Let's um whatever ethnicity. All Mindy I know Kaling is I have is. not heard strong things about her her comedy game. She is not game. super funny, um, and she is. I, I guess everyone has their own tastes, right? Humor subjective. There are some people that might find her funny, just like there are some poor lost souls that find Amy Schumer funny. Um, but in everything I've seen her in, um, I've just incredibly grating and annoying, and outside of of her on-screen stuff. She is uh, one of those people that just constantly bitches and moans about everything, or at least any, like, article I I see with her name attached to it is her talking Mm -hmm. some variety of shit. And and, uh, I guess this trailer is no different because the whole... The bulk of this trailer is, like, Velma, like arguing with HBO Max and basically telling them go woke, go broke, which yeah. I don't, again, I don't know what that is trying to, is that supposed to be like a skewering of those, um, the people who make those complaints? Of the but why are you putting it on your main character, of, who's like the yeah. point of view? Well, because that's, if this, if Mindy Kaling has written this in any way, I mean, that's a thousand percent a move she'd make because, you know, any criticism of her work is born out of sexism and not a critique of her comedic writing abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but why would she put that characterization on like 
Velma, who is like always been characterized as like I, I get like the snarkiness. That's one of Velma's like big character things. Is like she's always snarky and kind of you know she's side mouthing everyone, um, but not like a weird like comic book guy level of complainer. Yeah, like that. It really felt like just straight off of The Simpsons, just like. Dear HBO Max, I can't believe you made this character not girl crazy. It's a defamation to her characterization. Worst animated series ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't fucking know, dude. Um, it it is what it is. I'm not gonna watch it. Mm-hmm. Judging by the like to dislike like ratio. Not many people are going to watch it. Um, yeah. It's just going to be another thing that HBO Max. It's not a huge enough out. property where you can play the controversy bait card. Yeah. And, and, and it's, people b- bite it. It's not. Well, this I mean, isn't Little Mermaid. I don't know. I feel like people are going to talk about it. Like we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I normally wouldn't have fucking even given a shit about. I mean, I give a little bit of a shit, right? Because I'm I'm a Scooby Doo fan, so right. I I don't like when the property is just kind of fucked around with. Um, but For, I I have heard good things. However, if we want to, if we're gonna push this down, let's pop something else up. Say Mystery Inc. I've heard very good things about. I haven't watched it, but I've, yeah, it's been positively received by the fan base. Yeah, I've heard that too, but I haven't like watched. I think What's New Scooby Doo was the last Scooby Doo series I watched. Yeah. And I want to say that was like 03, so I'm not exactly current. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last thing we watched was Scoob, and that was. Well, I mean, yeah, other than Scoob. Right. Yeah, Scoob was fine. I don't. Didn't care for Will Forte as Shaggy because it was just Will Forte, but. <laughs> Is what it is, and uh, we'll take a look at what the box office is on our segment known as the follow-up. Following of the up. Following Um, of the ups. Now, make sure when you're looking at it that we're not looking at it. They have the options for the long weekend and for the regular weekend, which the only difference is that if you click long weekend, doesn't show you any of the comparative stats between weeks for some reason. I tip it because it's not a like-for-like sample size yeah some reason I, I i can i have no idea um i typically just look at the holiday weekend um just mm-hmm. well i even looked at that and it doesn't the numbers don't even change like the gross. oh they don't yeah it's like the exact same no there's there's a little bit of difference like three million dollars difference all right so for weekend 40 uh indigenous people's Day weekend or Columbus Day weekend, depending upon whether you live in a red state or a blue state. Um, leading the charge yeah. this week. Well, no, I don't not call it a day off. <laughs> Although I did take that Monday off, but not for not for the holiday observance. Not for the reasons you thunk enough. Uh, Smile leading the charge. Another $21 million this weekend, uh, building off a strong... A uh, viral marketing campaign and a strong opening weekend. It's bringing it brought its worldwide uh, gross to over a hundred million, which I'm sure 
makes it an insanely profitable film for Paramount. Mm-hmm. Another Paramount success story this year. Good for them. Um, they're, they're making hits. Opening in second and finding itself square in the uh, the, the crosshairs of those crosshairs of our spotlight is Lyle Lyle Crocodile, um, bringing in thirteen million dollars in forty three hundred theaters. Um, we shat on this pretty harshly yeah. when it came across our, our radar here. And it seems perhaps we may have judged it a bit too harshly, but we'll we'll find out in a little bit from real reviewers what Who the knows. real scoop is. But the professionals are uh, 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, which is not a particularly good score, but not a terrible score either. 75% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, which puts it in the fresh category. 95% audience score, but... Uh, it's got that verified ratings tag ascribed to it, so don't trust that at all. Yep. Um, 7 out of 10 from IGN, and 88% of Google users liked it. But who gives a shit about them? They don't know shit. They're just out there fucking collecting a paycheck, grinding for the man, taking their marching orders. No one Mind- would be... Crazy enough to pay any of these people money for their opinions, so they they are forced to submit them for free in the IMDb user review section. Um, them out. It's a kind of a trap, a, a trick for the audience. It's, it's, a, it's an old razzle dazzle play. Um, real reviewers such as Janky Sharma, who okay, Janky with an I, I should point that out. Okay. Um, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, 10 out of 10. True sharing, affection, love, and happiness give courage. Josh Gordon directed a pleasant movie. Lyle Lyle Crocodile, set in New York City. The movie is based on the book series by Bernard Wauber. That's not a parenthetical or an appositive. That's just its own sentence. Uh, Lyle, a crocodile, parenthetical, voiced by Sean Mendez is the main character. Lyle has emotions <laughs> and responds very well to affection. <laughs> responds very well to affection, selflessness, acts of kindness, love filled words, and music. Amazing. <laughs> what an astounding feat of nature. Well, what a, what a, you know, nuanced take on this film here. <laughs> Hector Valenti, talented Javier Bardem from Vicky Cristina Barcelona and No Country for Old Men, is kind and loves Lyle, but also has selfish motive, just selfish motive, not a selfish motive, of making a lot of money with his own magician abilities and singing Lyle. I had to make sure that wasn't signing like to a contract. But Lyle sees through Hector's selfishness and freezes in front of audience. Then comes the Prim family. Miss Prim, Constance Wu from Crazy Rich Asians and Hustlers, author of comic books, her husband, Scotty, oh, Scoot McNary from Luckiest Girl in the World, Argo, with a new oh teaching job in New York City school, uh, and their son, Josh Winslow Fagley, movie in move into Hector's townhouse without realizing Hector left Lyle in the attic with a note 
the friendship between Lyle and Josh, only child and lonely boy, is full of niceness, true affection, and fun, enjoyable pastimes. Miss Prim warms up to Lyle and has fun, happy days filled with songs and happiness. Lyle eventually makes friends with Mr. Prim and wins him over. Prim family and Lyle become inseparables. Hector. It's my favorite. My favorite sequel, The Inseparables. The Inseparables. Hector learns his lesson just from watching Prims. True love just needs true understanding. Sean Mendez's voice is huge plus point for the movie. Saw some great horror films in 2022. Smile X Pearl. <laughs> and now a very different movie. Lyle Lyle Crocodile. Very pleasant 106 minutes. Very enjoyable. But, but was it fun and had have songs? I think it was full of niceness, and that's what they appreciated most about it. Uh, someone appreciated this review as it one out of one found it helpful. So that, that's nice. That's good. Bat nice. a thousand. Um, <laughs> you know, our our good friend Dobbs Draco definitely in the same camp. He's feeling the same vibe with his one out of ten review. The movie was boring and awful. <laughs> I had I had strong thesis statement. <laughs> I had height expectations because I'm a fan of the book. But honestly, it was kind of disappointing how plain everything was. Even the music, which plays an important role, was very disappointing. People please save your money and stick to books. Not even Har not even Javier with his charisma can save the movie. The voice of the crocodile was annoying. And the singing was worse. <laughs> this film is honestly mid. He gave it a 1 out of 10. Constance and Javier did a good job, but I had high hopes for the soundtrack, since the people that did The Greatest Showman were part of this. And what a disappointment. I mean, it's not that bad, but at some point it does get boring. <laughs> so make sure your kids don't fall asleep. <laughs> Zero out of seven. Well then, I actually don't know if he. <laughs> How did he feel about that movie? I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on it. Usually, the, the one like, out of ten leave little like, room for doubt. I would say that ironically, but like he kept saying it was mid, and it wasn't all bad. Like I can understand, like mid in a one out of ten because you know, zoomers, right, gonna zoom, and you know if it's not the most amazing thing ever you know it's it's worthless mid is is bad to them not like mediocre um but um but yeah he uh, left some left some room for ponderings there yeah. with his uh it's not that bad <laughs> who knows yeah it no one cared though no one no one liked that no one liked that shit everyone but for something that. that's actually mid we got uh cdcrb with their 6 out of 10, rock around the crock. Oh. Uh, remember, remember when Christopher Walken surprised us with his singing and dancing back in the day? Well, here we have the famous, the famous Javier Bardem doing the same. The opening number is really pretty good. Think Gene Kelly. As usual, Javier looks like a troll. The worse he looks, the better he seems to like it. <laughs> Why he chooses to hide his aura under a basket is odd. 
Which brings us to this movie. <laughs> I fucking lose it. Of course it does. A hack vaudevillain with a singing and dancing crocodile has a hard time making it in show business due to the fact that the croc gets stage fright. It's complicated, but the croc finds a little boy for a buddy, and they have adventures in NYC. It's complicated. It's very, you must understand, it's very complicated. I mean, you set it up pretty succinctly there. <laughs> there are clueless parents, and of course an evil downstairs neighbor. The movie lacks spark. It is not very good, and I'm not sure how kids will find all of this. By the way, where is West Times Square? Just asking. It's uh, the western part of Times Square. Zero out of zero. <laughs> out of zero. <laughs> I just like this. I like this line, just this one line. Just as usual, Javier looks like a troll. Javier Burden. The worse he looks, the better he seems to like it. Well, there was... He he was on Conan once, and I do remember something to that effect where I, I think it was specifically for his role in the uh, Pablo Escobar biopic mm-hmm. that he wanted to be made as ugly as possible to not, like, glorify Pablo Escobar. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Conan's like, you're not such a bad-looking guy. <laughs> He's got to, like, try to look awful <laughs> in all your movies. <laughs> And he's like, well, I play the bad guy a lot. <laughs> and and here is no different, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, My Sunshine 7,800 <coughs> um, gave this one a slightly worse 9 out of 10. Lyle Lyle Crocodile uh, 9 out of 10. And actually, an actual kid-friendly slash family movie without adult agendas. <laughs> I rated this movie high, not because it's the best movie ever with the best plot, script, and actors, but because it was not stuffed full of adult agendas and adult situations being pushed on children. These weren't kids or animals cussing or being bleeped. There wasn't unnecessary sexual or same-sex content. And it, comma, ampersand. That's one I haven't seen before. It wasn't chock full of political or other social issues. It's just a cute, fun, entertaining movie I could enjoy with my 10-year-old. I can recommend it to my teacher friends to stream in classrooms without worry when it's released. Thank you. The only qualm I can think of is Lyle's singing voice. I didn't feel quite fit the crocodile. (laughs) Three out of five found that helpful. And uh, going on the inverse end of the scale... Exactly, with a two half ten. Uh, Victoria Zengo, worst movie in the world. Literally, I never leave reviews for movies, but feel irritated and gypped just watching this. So obnoxious and literally nothing good about it. As soon as we walked out of my, the theater, my 11-year-old niece said this movie was going to ruin Sean Mendez's reputation. Ellipses. She's not wrong. The reason it sucks, too, is all these fake ratings and reviews tricked us into wasting our time watching it. I always thought Javier Bardem was cool, was so cool, but now he just looks like a fool. This was embarrassing, and I'm not sure how this got made. Way too much singing. Terrible plot. Annoying mom. Just not good. Trying way too hard and failing. 
The only times we laughed were when it was just so embarrassingly dumb, where we're like, OMG, seriously, what is this? Question mark, exclamation point, double punctuation. Don't waste your time and money. Watch anything else on the planet. Uh, one out of ten found that scathing takedown of Lyle Lyle Crocodile helpful. Just burn it to a crisp. Um, finally, from Michael Dean Gray, four out of ten. Uh, quit setting every movie in New York City. Lyle Lyle Crocodile was flat, scattered, had odd editing and pacing at times. The story never made me cry, nor really feel much of anything. And voicing the crocodile with Shawn Mendes was a cheap celebrity grab that my brain just couldn't buy. Because the crocodile doesn't sound like himself, he just sounds like Shawn Mendes. You don't really feel for the characters, but they're not terrible people either. So my brain isn't sure exactly how to feel about them. There are there are countless thousands there are countless thousands and thousands of cities in the United States. Start setting some movies in any other city besides just New York City. Zero out of one. No one liked any of these reviews. No, I mean, were people rated the review? Like, there's only twenty three reviews for this movie, which is a fairly low number. Um, yet we're seeing like ratings and like 10 of them like that's that's a pretty high engagement rate yeah for a movie that no one seemed to have saw well i guess 13 million dollars worth of people saw it uh which was good enough to beat out amsterdam shifting back to the box office leaderboard here which opened in third for 7.2 million dollars in 3,000 theaters though so that might account for for some of that um in fourth uh, Kevin Smith's The Woman King, $5.9 million uh, from TriStar. It's made $65 million worldwide. Um, Don't Worry Darling skids down a little bit further. Actually, it might have been fifth last week as well. Uh, $4 million for Don't Worry Darling over the long weekend. Avatar's 2022 re-release continues to... Uh, just, just hanging out there. Make money three point one million dollars. It's made the re-release has made seventy four million dollars worldwide. Why? 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 Just it. I it it is amazing that it has made more money than ever. Several of the new movies that have uh, right come out, and like if it were like a classic, like it you know Jaws being re-released, sure I could see it making that kind of money. But Avatar, Avatar. I don't know. Really? People, people love that ava- those those avatar that avatar world. Can't get fucking enough of it. Well, you know what I think is actually doing it? The 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 hype behind the ride at Disney World. Yeah. Cuz like you want to speak about movie that, adaptations. Before that thing opened, did anyone even remember Avatar? <laughs> they were there there were smatterings and scatterings. But it, it, it ate up the mind of, of James Cameron and he had to he had to express himself somehow and he expressed himself in the form of the fucking Avatar ride, which 
Um, I don't know how you measure the popularity of like an amusement park ride. I think like, the obviously wait time. Like how many people <laughs> ride it, but um, I don't know what the what the actual statistic is there. How popular is the avid avitar uh ride how popular is it popular Um, enough to create four-hour wait times more than four million people have ridden flight of passage since its debut and has been rated as the top rated ride in walt disney world and disney's guest surveys so incredibly popular is the answer fucking huge space mountain eat your ass out and oldest ride longest line (laughs) yeah um barbarian in seventh seventh holding steady two and a half million and just under two and a half million is bros which did not open particularly strongly fucking sunk too yeah uh nine million worldwide um all domestic that it's a I don't think this movie is going to be getting a, a boost flop. in China yeah so um you know not to rehash anything that may have been discussed earlier in the program but it would seem that going woke it's not always a recipe for financial I success I don't know bros did be- he, it's doing better than top gun maverick it's doing better <laughs> numbers than top gun maverick in its 20th week which it's it's a, a order of magnitude. Top 10. Yes, Top Gun Maverick under a million dollars now in just barely eleven hundred theaters. It went up. It went up a rank. But yes, it went up a rank and notably made more per theater than Bros. <laughs> Holy crap, kids! And it's twentieth week. <laughs> a whole order of magnitude more than the movie above it on the box office. Go watch. Go watch Top Gun at every holiday. Halloween, Top Gun. Thanksgiving, Top Gun. Christmas, holiday, Top Gun. <laughs> they put. They went back and they actually refilmed all the jet fighter scenes. Like in, they took another take <laughs> of them, but they have Santa hats on this time. One point four eight billion dollars worldwide. Christ. More international, which always. Every time I see that, I know it's been the case for like the entirety of its run, but mm-hmm. it still doesn't quite compute to me because it's, um, it's very a rah rah American kind of movie. Uh, Terrifier two opened in tenth with eight hundred five thousand dollars. Man, like, jeez, will the box office ever really recover from COVID? I I guess when there's a big movie, it still does well. Like yeah. Spider Man made a shit ton of money. Top, Top Gun's Gun made a ton, shit ton of money. Um, but Top Gun, a lot of its money came on the back half of its run. I feel well. No, I mean so like the, the tail. Yeah, it was. It wasn't like it made you know several hundred million dollars its opening weekend, and then like tailed off significantly it just it had a lot of weeks in that like 25 million dollar range mm-hmm. and that kind of built it up uh but yeah like the box office is getting more and more top heavy 
and in in leaner times when there's not a big like tent pole coming out, uh, the top that's heavy here is like twenty one million dollars, which is not a ton, right? For that's for all. the number one movie in America, the model which, is changing. And I think, unfortunately, that's that's not good news because the more top-heavy the box office becomes, the more risk-averse studios become, and the more schlock and sequels and fucking film franchises they try to shovel out uh, mm-hmm. that are devoid of any creative expression or uh, risk-taking. Yep. And unfortunately for us, well, we're a special case because we're going to go see a lot of shit, even the shitty shit in theaters but anyone who is a regular consumer with a subscription to a to a movie theater a you know the monthly pass what have you um top heavy box offices are going to definitely negatively affect them because the pressure for getting your value is directly against the pressure of uh the the lack of of valuable offerings uh, yeah. in in theaters you're gonna... Which, I mean, it's not necessarily new. I've been saying for a yeah. while now that, like, maybe in a good year, 15 good movies that are worth seeing in theaters come out. Yep. But, I mean, this is how that's... So, what I'm saying is, as yeah, as this trend continues, you're going to see more push for subscription services because that's how they're going to make money if they can't get people coming in frequently to see the movie. Because that's always been the... Uh, the big pop of, you know, since the days of the Chinese buffet. Well, the, I mean, you know, the, where... the real money in the movie f- business is in concessions. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're glorified popcorn vendors. Like, they make very little margin on the ticket sale, but they make incredible margins on concessions. And But I will say that with the subscription service, it is... That's huge because it's the thing with with what I'm saying. It's with subscriptions and buffets and all that kind of stuff is that they can make money off you even if you don't get the product. Yeah, because you're paying like, for access to the product. I'd say it's more like the gym membership, uh, yeah, business yeah. model where, where they kind of like yes, you can come in, but and use um, their facilities. But if even if you don't, they still get your money. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, that's a. If if you ever wanted to do economics 101 and made the assumption that the consumer is a perfectly uh, rational and um, thoughtful uh, investor or decision maker, these all these all fly in the face of that. Um. Yeah, but they define rational and economics as thinking on on the margin, which I think people largely do. Um, but their, their valuation of things is perhaps questionable at times. Um, all right, let's talk. That is the top 10. Um, I will make one shout out to, to Tar, that movie that they put a fucking bajillion trailers out for, but they've, they're doing their pilot release in four theaters. So it came in at a solid 23. So we'll see if they if they keep rolling it out and they do the A24 kind of push. Can they, how far, it's like hitting the, the bell. You're hitting the hammer. Can you get it to go up to the, the ding bell and get that stuffed yeah. teddy bear? 
And by the way, Marcel the Shell of Shoes on never made it to my local theater. Yeah. So, Oops. fuck on that. Um. All right. So, gaming news. Um, we had mentioned when it happened that uh, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh, Kazuki Takahashi, had passed away. In mm-hmm. his body was discovered in a, in a river or body of water. It was, I believe, it was like a, a coastal diving spot. Like it was. Yes. A, New reports are coming out that he passed away in an attempt to save a save some people from drowning. Um, That's pretty baller. Yeah, so kind of like Chad Gaspard, who was the former wrestler and mocap artist for um, uh, Kratos mm-hmm. in the new God of War. Um, he saved his son and got dragged out to sea in a similar fashion, it seems. In July, the world learned of the sad passing of Kazuki Takahashi, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! At the time, his death was recorded by officials as a drowning, but a recent report from the U.S. military newspaper has provided some extra details not known at the time regarding his heroism. A story on Stars and Stripes, the Department of Defense's own news service, uh, reports that a U.S. Army officer who has been recognized for rescuing three people from a riptide at a popular Okinawa dive spot in an episode that apparently killed the well-known Japanese manga artist. The officer, 49-year-old Major Robert uh, Borgo, has been recommended for a soldier's medal for his actions on July 4th, which took place at Mermaid's Grotto in the village of Onawa, Okinawa. Borgo reportedly spotted three swimmers, two Japanese civilians, and a fellow U.S. soldier struggling in a dangerous riptide, and while still wearing his running shoes, raced out to rescue them. Uh, the SNS report says that while the riptide alone was dangerous enough, six-foot waves were also crashing amongst it and quickly caused a whirlpool effect, which began sucking in stranded swimmers. Borgo, a trained scuba diving instructor, was able to bring both civilians ashore and direct the U.S. soldier to safety as well. During the rescue, however, several sworn witness statements provided by the Army say that Takahashi also jumped in to help, but onlookers only caught glimpses of him until he disappeared beneath the waves. Um, according to Burgo, he's a hero. He died trying yeah. to save someone else. I I agree. Um, two things. Oh, three things. One, yeah, definitely heroic. Uh, you know, fucking very few of us could hope to go out on on a thing like that. Still awful that that it happened. Yeah. But uh, two, uh, this is another reminder that riptides are fucking dangerous, and even professionals don't want to have to play with that shit. Yeah. Um, be careful around them for any swimmers. And three on on a on my uh, morbid my morbid silver lining here. It means that the scene in in Yu Gi Oh where uh, Joey jumps off the boat to save the Exodia is <laughs> that was true to his heart. That was yeah he 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 would have done he did the, the same. future yeah. That is uh, if he was on that boat he would have saved those cards. He would have saved those cards. okay uh xbox cloud gaming shifting gears uh here is coming to the meta quest um my experience with xbox cloud gaming is that the picture quality is often not great and i do not think it will play nicely in a vr environment where pixel density is very important to a smooth experience. 
Ooh, yeah. Just it's get it right. It's I I hope we're at the well. I don't know. I'd say I'd hope we're at the point where we can have these things nailed out. But so here's here's the thing with this though, right? So my understanding is that the Quest and VR headsets in general um, do not have Ethernet. So you are uh, running over Wi-Fi. You've got you've got like two or three other cords running off of this headset. Couldn't like make an Ethernet port. Well, so like something like an Index or, or a Vive, I believe, um, like is tethered to your computer. Right. So if sense. your computer has an Ethernet, uh, by extension, the headset does as well. But the Quest, I believe, um, runs on an SOC that's in there. It might be able to tether as well. But there is like there is an internal chip in the uh, VR uh, headset that's not like super powerful but capable of running shit like Beat Saber just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which yeah. is you know like the game that anyone that's the has, one that's, that's the, like the one experience. I'm not gonna call it a killer app because it's not a killer app. It's yeah, the... and you can see that in uh, VR adoption rates <laughs> that there there is a is not a killer app. Half-Life mm-hmm. Alex is the the first like AAA VR experience. Yep. And it's very it was very popular and people were excited that there was a new Half-Life game. But uh I don't know how many units that moved in the end to be honest with you. Right. It, there there needs to be something. Again, the I think the big gate is the the price once and it's not going to be fucking. It's not going to be the fucking Oculus at this point. I think um, there are a couple gates. One is the price of the headset itself. Yeah. Uh, the other is um, the kind of motion concerns, like motion mm-hmm. sickness in some people, and like the need to have to push the- a certain like frame rate, a certain like resolution density, or else it becomes kind of like disconnecting yeah. to who's ever using it the and, kinesthetic compatibility with the human body yeah and lastly is just the, the power needed to render out stereoscopic images of like essentially you're asking whatever your graphics unit is to do twice the work as yeah. it would on a, on a normal screen so that there's there's a hardware requirement too, which is where cloud gaming. Once we get to a point where cloud gaming is is any good, <laughs> could be a, a a wonderful solution to this problem, where you offload all that that horsepower demand to an external right. uh, the, site. But I'm sure that's what Google was probably like. They're the kind. I mean, they're the kind of company that will throw everything at the wall and then something hope something assembles out of the fucking mass of shit that's on there. Um, but yeah, that feels like, you know, oh, they set up the cloud and if that worked, then they could probably push VR. Um, we're not in that timeline though. Well, I mean, we're in the stadia failed timeline. Google's not the first, actually Google was, was kind of a late comer to the cloud gaming. I I think NVIDIA was the first, I think GeForce Now was like the first, um, cloud gaming platform or one of the first. 
Um, and that's always been the intention. Like people have been prognosticating for years now. Like people thought that the last console generation was going to be the the final console generation. We were just going to move to like a little box that you know you dock and it's on your TV, and or you can pick it up and it's a handheld and like you mm-hmm. stream it from the cloud. Right. And it's people, all that. people were feeling like the they wanted the switch, but with good processing power. Yeah, and and I don't hate the idea of cloud game. Well, I kind of hate the idea of cloud gaming because I like to have. I like to I'm own an, stuff. I'm, an, I'm a hardware enthusiast. I like to build. I like to tinker. That's mm-hmm. that's a hobby in and of itself for me. Um, but the idea of cloud gaming is not inherently bad. But we are just not there, at least in America, with our technological infrastructure to accommodate cloud gaming at this point in time yeah VR. so again I, for me like if if they it's another thing where all the pieces just miss by a little bit because again i've mentioned this a bunch of times that um 3d movies would be my killer app that would be the one um if I, you know, if I could get it affordably, I would, I would get even a basic headset so I could do that. Um, and I'm, I tell I'm just like looking it up right now. I think they can, I think you can actually do that in the Vive. I, I may get it just so that we could have a guinea pig VR, VR set well, to test. The Vive, the $600 on. Vive. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I say that, I say that things kind of miss the mark because, this comes just right after the the failed push for 3D TVs. Yeah. Right, where I, that was a technology that just did not work. Well, uh, it's not that it didn't, didn't work, work well work. and it was I I I feel like um the technology worked pretty well. It just wasn't super transformative like we've talked about this before like how much does 3d really add to the movie going experience and in most cases it's not a ton um second problem was they didn't make a lot of 3d tvs uh the third Mm -hmm. problem was the glasses requirement um a lot of the glasses for these 3d tvs uh required you know batteries and whatnot obviously uh, you needed everyone watching the 3D movie to have a pair of glasses, which was an added cost to the already high cost of being an early adopter for 3D television. Yep. Um, not everyone liked having to wear glasses to watch a movie. <laughs> um, and they didn't release a whole ton of like 3D movies. Like, uh, there's only a handful of 3D Blu-rays out there. Mm-hmm. And for all those reasons, fails. And I, and now I would I would wager that there's some hesitancy to try and push that kind of technology again in the context of VR. I will say that there are a lot of the streaming apps, the the popular ones do have VR apps, um, but I had to look them up to find that they existed. So they're not being pushed, yes, and they're. You know, I don't see people saying, you know, we should, you should buy a, uh, you know, you should buy a Vive or a, or a Quest so that you can watch Netflix VR. 
yeah. I have not heard that argument being put forth anywhere. Yeah. So I, um, I can only guess as to the actual quality of the presentation, the application at this point. I think we've done a couple of episodes, maybe not on VR, where that was like the main topic of discussion, but we, we've been we went down the, the VR rabbit hole. And, you know, at this point, here we are in 2022. I'm not sure if it's ever really going to catch on. Like they, it's been pushed for a while. It's getting a little bit more accepted in the mainstream, but you know, like like you've mentioned, Peter, like I, the price point is is it's a uh, it's not something that someone working on a very modest salary would be able to afford as a leisure item. Yeah. It's you know I'm looking things up right now to get the the full elite headset right that's that's like seven hundred fifty dollars for the basic you know for the well sorry for the whole virtual reality system that's fifteen hundred dollars this is just yeah. Vive five yeah the index is like a grand uh, that's where like the Quest is is an attractive option because I think it's only like three hundred or three hundred fifty dollars but it's not like the same quality as the other headsets obviously to reach mm-hmm. that price point compromises have to be made and you know it, it works well enough my sister has a quest i've used it like once i don't do vr well i do get a little motion sickness from vr um mm-hmm. and it took me a while i got a little motion sickness even with my ultra wide monitors <laughs> it took me a while to to adjust to that um so it's not not for me yeah and um, I'm just thinking, like, so, yeah, the next pr- next time I'll probably interact with VR is if we ever, if we want to get, like, a time slot at the local mall, because they have a VR arcade. We were joking about that shit. That was, like, that was in Batman Beyond. And it's it a lot more silly now just to imagine spell Spellbinder as just a creep hanging out at the mall trying to poach kids going to the VR arcade. <laughs> like, hey, you want to do some crime with me, kids? Like well, it's I'll a little, little bit crimes. different feel. Um, I will also say I, when I was looking at prices, I've seen these two, and um, I do need. I should probably make a, a at least one mention of these. The VR headsets, um, you know, like the ones for thirty dollars at Walmart. Sorry, kids, that's not a VR headset. That's just a stereoscope that you can wear on your head. Yeah, they've had those since the eighteen hundreds. You can make one at home. Look it up. Um, it's a fun project. You might learn don't, something. You don't need to buy one for $30 with a fucking protection plan. That's goofy as hell. Um, in its never-ending quest to clean up its reputation, Activision Blizzard is being hit with yet another sexual harassment lawsuit. The plaintiff says she suffered... Sexual harassment at the hands of a manager for years before he was finally fired. Um, this is the latest in a series of lawsuits against Activision Blizzard regarding the culture of uh, sexual harassment that was enabled at the company for a while there. Uh, another L for them on the public relations side, uh, which is not great because the, the L they're currently taking on the gaming side is... 
pretty stark with Overwatch 2 just straight up not working for a lot of people. Um, to call the launch rocky would be a bit of an understatement. And it's yep. made all the worse by the fact that they shut down the servers for the original Overwatch. <laughs> Ostensibly, all that server space is going to something. I don't know. It's it's kind of comical. Active or Blizzard, sorry, Blizzard and Watsi are kind of in the same situation. Once uh, well loved and respected companies that uh, got in bed with a uh, larger company and mm. uh, have had their name dragged through the mud. <laughs> I said larger company for a long time now, to where yep. basically any goodwill they had once is has been long up. gone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, you know, it's amazing that it's it, it sucks in this age of video games, right? When this shit flops, you can't like that's the real tragedy. You can't go back and play Overwatch one. Yeah, like when fucking Diablo three or Diablo Immortal or whatever sucks balls. Like fucking, you can go back and play Diablo two, and you're well, and you're good. The great thing about and people do. The PC side of things, at least, is that there will be people who figure out a way to bring Overwatch 1 back in some capacity. I don't know if like it was yanked from everyone's Steam libraries mm-hmm. or they just shut down the servers. Uh, either yes. obstacle is not insurmountable for the PC yeah, community. Like, if they can make remake uh, WoW Classic, you know, as like a homebrew thing. Yeah. like They can make this, yeah. Private this is not servers. the first game that's been beloved and had this, had the server shut down that has been brought back by by the community. Uh, we have a release date for Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PC. It will be launching on November, and it has been uh, it has had its system requirements uh, laid out, and they're all pretty similar to. Uh, Spider-Man Remastered, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, at minimum for 72030, very low preset experience. Uh, they are recommending a core a fourth gen uh, core i3 or AMD equivalent, eight gigs of RAM, a nine fifty or AMD equivalent uh, that's capable of running DirectX twelve, which is the nine fifty a DirectX twelve card. I don't know that it is. Uh, and 75 gigabytes of storage space, um, 1080p 60 on medium. You're looking at a fourth gen i5 or a Ryzen 5 1600, which those are not really all that equivalent. Um, yeah. 16 gigs of RAM, DX12, a 1060 6 gig or a 580. Uh, 4K, very high preset. You're looking at Needing a 11400 or a 3600 from AMD, a 3070 or a 6800 XT, which is not that demanding for 4K60. It's actually pretty reasonable. Um, amazing ray tracing, which is 144060 or 4K30 with a high ray tracing preset. They're recommending 11600K. Or a Ryzen 7 3700X, 16 gigs of RAM, a 3070 or a 6900 XT, because uh, RDNA 2 does not have great ray tracing, which is why I kind of laughed when 
everyone was talking like, oh, the PS5 and Xbox uh, Series X are going to have great ray tracing. It's like, yeah, they run on our DNA too. I, I don't know that you're going to be as happy with the ray tracing as you think you are. Um, yeah. And ultimate ray tracing, 4K 60, high ray tracing, 12700K, uh, 5900X, 32 gigs of RAM. Whew, is it really going to chew up that much system memory? Jesus. Um, with those, with that power, with that amazing power, you need that. A 3080 and a 6950 XT. Um, I technically don't even meet that, but um, I also don't play on 4K on this machine, at least. Uh, and uh, DLSS is a thing, which you should probably use, because uh, actually uh, there are... Spider-Man Remastered, and I assume that Miles Morales is being ported over by the same company, mm -hmm. um, features three upscaling technologies. You have your pick of DLSS, FSR, or um, Insomniac's own upscaling technology, which uh, they all work pretty good in my experience. Speaking of NVIDIA, it has come, the launch, the October 12th has, has come and gone, and with it, the launch of the RTX 4090 has happened. And um, there's a couple ways of looking at this. If you are willing to accept that a Titan-class GPU is okay to cost $1,600, or $1,500 in the case of the 3090, uh, there is an impressive amount of gen-on-gen performance uplift here mm -hmm. um, as high as 70% in some cases not the two to four times faster than the previous gen that NVIDIA proclaimed at least not without DLSS 3.0 um, but it is a pretty impressive generational leap uh, for the same sort of power draw as the previous flagship 3090 Ti and um it's not a bad value when you look at it against the 3090 Ti's launch price of $2,000. But it's not a card that makes sense for a lot of people. Um, $1,600 is... You can build a nice, complete system with that kind of yeah. money. It's, just, it's really hard to recommend. The, and for most people... So this this performance uplift is really only seen at 4K. So if you're one of the few people who has a 4K 144 hertz monitor and wants to drive all your games at the the monitor's fullest potential, um, 4090 excellent choice for you. If you play at anything other than 4K, uh, you're going to be CPU bound more so than than anything so it yeah. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to drop it okay. and it comes at a cost uh, not only the mm -hmm. significant cost of $1,600 but under load the card pulls around 500 watts from the wall um, between 450 and 500 watts and if you overclock it it was measured by gamers nexus to pull 666 watts good fucking god the mark of the beast <laughs> And you will see the devil in your electric bill every month. For real. Holy Lord. Yeah, so the, the returns at this level are diminished. And the uh, and the other thing to mention is that this is cutting edge, but the cutting edge dulls pretty quickly. Um, another thing to mention is that the card is fucking massive. It is, 
It is the size of a small child. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a... I think the Founders Edition is almost a four-slot GPU. So if you put it in your system, uh, say goodbye to any of your other PCIe uh, card slots because you will no longer have them. Um, and, and, um, and of course, a, a GPU that large isn't going to produce any heat. Um, thermals aren't terrible, actually, uh, at least on the Founders Edition. it It's not any more, um, at least at stock, clocks it's not any more heat uh well actually i can't say how much heat it kicks out into the room okay so it could have a very good cooling solution that does a good job extracting heat from the gpu core which is what the temperature sensor is measuring the temperature at the gpu core um it could just be kicking all that hot air into the room dumping it out yeah and and making you feel nice and toasty for the for the winter months but maybe not so comfortable in the summer months. At least that would be... So- <laughs> See, that's what you use all that electricity for. Yeah. You just cut back on your heating bill and run your PC. Well, honestly, I was telling, I was joking with Kaylee. I'm like, the computers in this house on a per-watt basis are far more efficient than any space heater. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, and to power it, it comes with a... You can either use a, I think, 16 or 12 pin uh, on the new 12-volt... Um, power supply standard that no one really has yet or you could plug in not one not two not three but four eight pin PCIe <laughs> express uh, cables into this uh, splitter that the adapts fucking Goliath. I mean that's how you get your 660 watts um, yep. I would say Normally, no one should buy this card, and you should just buy the uh, 80 or 70 series cards. But this generation, <laughs> there isn't the, too much of a discount to be had. Like with the 3090 at $1,500, you at least had the 3080 at $700, where you're like, that's a price I can pay. And even more reasonably, the uh, 40, 40, 3070, jeez. 3070 was only $500. Uh, this time around, however, that 80 series card is going to cost $1,200. And the uh, 4080 12 gig, or the as it, it should be called, the 4070 Ti, is going to be um, a lot more expensive than it should be at $900. So there isn't a good landing spot an NVIDIA stack. Uh, buy a 30 series card. I mean, that's kind of what they're banking on. That's their mid-range right now. Um, yeah. I also wouldn't expect the 3080 16 gigabytes to perform as closely to the 30, or the 4090 as the 3080 did to the 4, 3090 because um, both of the 3080 and 3090 use the same uh, highest tier uh, GPU uh, die, but the mm-hmm. 4080 is uh, skewed down from the 4090, so uh, it probably won't be. It'll probably be more than 15% slower. So if you're going to spend $1,200, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, might as well get the big boy. <laughs> right. Um, we'll see what AMD has on November 3rd. Um, 
I would say 6900 XT. I've seen that for as low as uh, $630 recently. Um, also check the used market. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of good deals to be had on current-gen cards, which are no slower for the existence of these cards um, as people panic sell, as they do all the time. All right, that's going to wrap on gaming news, and we can now discuss our feature film of the evening, Mel Brooks. Young Frankenstein. Um, the, the the classic. It is a classic. It is generally the most critically acclaimed of Mel Brooks's comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is largely because the humor is slightly more sophisticated than in some of the other... Slightly. Very slightly more sophisticated um, than some of his other films. So critics feel better about saying they liked it but personally this is kind of mid-tier for me like it it's a funny movie don't get me wrong there yeah. were there were several scenes where i laughed quite hard um but it is a bit more subtle in it's it's humor style than something like space balls or blazing saddles or uh and, men in tights and it doesn't have the raw joke density of like a zucker brothers movie yeah, it's, like, it's we, we watch police, uh, you know, um, police Naked squad, gun. or yeah. Naked Gun, yeah, and that that's I mean that's kind of unique in its own thing, but that was joke, 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 two jokes at the same time, three jokes at the same time, joke, 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 you know, um, whereas this is like joke, you know, some some scene, and there's another one, you know, they're a little more spaced out, um, but the joke quality. Are, they're it, all fucking high. timeless. Yeah. yeah, there's there's quite a there's there's a lot to like here. You can't go wrong with a Mel Brooks comedy, except mm-hmm. uh, I think some of his later ones. Like uh, the the testament to the quality of this movie is that I thought this was like an '80s thing. This movie came out in fucking '74. Yeah, filmed in black and Good white. Christ. Uh. To make it look even older, uh, Gene Wilder gives a. Uh, no one can scream quite like Gene Wilder. No, can scream. Gene Wilder has, like, he is just a he has a magnificent uh, delivery of of all this stuff. Like, uh, there are a lot of these jokes that don't that really wouldn't work if Gene Wilder did not deliver them like on point. Yes, like the one where he's like part of. Being a scientist is learning to accept your successes and failures in a dignified manner. And then he waits like the perfect number of beats and he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful setup and payoff. And I, he, he helped write this too, right? Um, I do not know. I will. Yes, he did the, he helped did the screenplay. Okay. Okay. Which, um, which makes sense, just because like when I think of movies that Gene Wilder, he's very particular about what movies he joined and went to. Like he does, he's not gonna do. He really didn't want to do anything like too raunchy. He he likes to. He's got a bit of a, a classical uh, feel about the kind of stuff he's in. I remember him saying him saying that in like some interviews, something like that. But um, that's his influence, kind of gives us the balance of like 
solid plot and and the the humor because mm-hmm. like in addition to the jokes and stuff there's like there's kind of like a heartfelt story in here. Uh, yeah it's a solid retelling of frankenstein um with a happier ending mm-hmm. um and yeah like the movie works as as a regular movie like disparate of all the like a lot of comedies you know if the jokes don't resonate with you like There's what even else. is what even is there? But this is a competent movie, just in its own sequence of events. Mm-hmm. But it's told with a lot of humor in it, um, and an, and an air towards style in the fact that it was filmed in black and white, and reverence for the source material because it says it in the in the opening credits of the movie. I don't think a lot of people pay attention to the opening credits, um, but I would be remiss if we didn't say they use the actual set from Frank the laboratory of the original Frankenstein as this laboratory like those props are the original props yeah and you know it it hits all the beats of mm-hmm. the Frankenstein story which is a literary classic in its own right but it injects humor into them like you know the scene where Frankenstein shows off his creation um which is you know happens in the book too instead of the manner that it happens i've never actually read frankenstein <laughs> so right. i don't know exactly how it happens in that story but in this one they show him off with a tap number <laughs> right but none of the ritz it was it's 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 iconic like it's yeah. perfect um and every every main every cast member in this movie um hits it hits the nail on the head they do exactly what they need to do and they they do it really well i i'll shout out why am i shouting out I'll, i will highlight marty feldman yes, who like who Igor, his, really yeah, good his comedy style like was i feel like it was it was on the it was already there like it was it was at the top of his game in 74 and it's like wrapped all the way back around where like the way and the way he like kind of um googly eyes at the camera he started you know he's like hamming it up for the camera like that could be that's like instagram tiktok you know youtube short kind of energy like it is <laughs> it is a modern a very modern kind of sensibility when it comes to just him like just given making the most ridiculous obnoxious facial reactions at the camera yeah um, um and and just kind of generally like you know making snide side comments on everything yeah, he's he's a a great character in the movie, and he he works so well in so many scenes. Like the the one scene I really remembered from this movie because it'd been a while since I'd watched it. I watched it. Mm-hmm. I rented it from the library um, as as a Ute. <laughs> yep. And um, or checked it out at the library, which we should so. also mention. Um, and I didn't realize, but I mean, it's 1974, so. They didn't have the develop the really MS not the MSRB but whatever the ratings board is, um, the you know, filled out as it was today. Yeah, the MPAA. This was this was and is rated PG. Yes, well, as any movie a trivia fan would would tell you, there was, was no PG thirteen until after the release of Temple of Doom, and the first movie to receive PG thirteen rating was Red Dawn. Yep. Um, so this was, this was before then. So the, and it, I was looking this up, just kind of just making sure I was all up on all the trivia. And, um, 
one of the questions people ask is like, was Young Frankenstein rated R? It's like, no. It's really not that There's bad. There's nothing like, explicit in it. Like, they make they make a couple... There uh, are a lot leaner, of, couple you know... A couple leaner jokes, couple... A lot of allusions to sex. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's there's nothing that would make it rated R. PG is a perfectly fine rating for it. Because, you know, PG means parental guidance. Like, I feel like this movie is perfectly appropriate for children, uh, like, 8 to 10 years old, if they watch it with their parent. You know, a lot of the stuff's going to go over their head. Right. It went over our heads. Yeah. Because we fucking watched this as kids. And yeah. It and was the, fine. the joke I remember most is when they're going through the, the stairwell to the laboratory with the skulls. Where it's yeah. like, you know, a year dead, two or two years dead, a year dead, six months dead, freshly dead. And then Marty Feldman oh. just starts singing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The fucking, my, my, like, my mom and I, well, we always, like, fucking quote. We're just like, put the candle back. <laughs> Which, like, is, again, that's the line itself is not a joke. It's, no, it's it's, it's just... literally one hundred percent in the delivery, and it was fucking Terry Gar and and uh, Gene Wilder delivering those lines with absolute precision. Yeah, and like everyone in this is fucking fantastic. I'll highlight um, uh, shit the um, I got I got police. the cast up here. So. Ken, Kenneth Mars. Um, as okay. in Inspector Kemp. Oh yeah, uh, just a wonderfully ludicrous character with um so much going on, and all of it is funny. Um, his his thick accent that trails off, and he needs to repeat himself, and he gets flustered by that. Uh, to the wooden arm gag that is used really effectively throughout the movie. Um, to the scene where he and Frankenstein are playing darts and he's cheating, <laughs> gain advantage. Mm-hmm. That was, sure. and that's a great scene because I don't even like. I never even remember that scene. But when I when I watch this going back, like there are there's like four or five, there's like three or four different jokes like in that because yeah. there's the fucking the darts on the arm, the cheating, the fact that. Like, uh, he's, you know, he's missing, it's that, it sets up with Frederick, uh, you know, uh, Frederick Frankenstein. He's like missing cause he's, he's like on edge and it's funny how he's missing. And then that's even a setup to the other joke at the end of the scene where he, where they, he, the inspector gets into the car and there's and darts in the wheel. Yeah. It turns out he's been on missing the white wall tires. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's just a lot of it. A lot of the humor in this is is derived from the situations that the characters mm-hmm. are in. Uh, like Peter mentioned, a lot of the the lines are like strictly jokes, but the delivery and the situation that they're in uh, makes them humorous. Right, and that's how Gene. And I mean, that's how Gene Wilder likes to roll. Like, I don't think he likes yeah. slapstick necessarily. Um, like he'll yeah. do physical comedy, obviously. And this wasn't um, like you know there wasn't a whole lot of slapstick in this. Uh, of course, there's the famous uh, charades scene. Yep, <laughs> where he's getting choked by 
by Peter Boyle, and they like legit play a game of charades with it's, the real like syllable. <laughs> and it's 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 right on point. But like Gene Wilder is so dry in his comedy. Yes, um, and that's that's what it's makes him him great. And you know, it's it's the same. Like if you enjoyed. If you've never seen Young Frankenstein, mm-hmm. but you were a fan of like Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs and Men in Tights, I can't guarantee that you'll like Young Frankenstein as much. But if you're a fan of Willy Wonka, you will like Young Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. It's it this the humor in this. Uh, I mean, there are like. The dick jokes, that's got Mel Brooks's fingerprints all over it. But mm-hmm. the the DNA of this movie feels a lot more Gene Wilder than it does Mel Brooks. Yep. Uh, yeah, especially in, in all the writing and and just the performances. And we I we haven't mentioned, like, we've talked about it, but I, you got to give it up for Peter Boyle as as the creature. Yeah, uh, he had the task of relying solely on grunts, grunts and groans and facial expressions to communicate, and he did an excellent job of that right up until the end where he finally got some lines and he knocked those out of the park, yep. too. <laughs> I mean, and that's just a fucking testament to this movie that they're like, they can't, the idea, like the whole premise for a lot of those scenes was like, well gonna say like he's almost the straight man in a lot of those scenes where he's like out and about like, oh no he a hundred percent is the straight man like pretty much to the entire movie is franken is frankenstein's monster yeah that's, that's the whole hilarious yeah that's like the whole juxtaposition that's why his, all his scenes are funny like he is like really straight laced he's not monstrous in really any way <laughs> um but you know every character he interacts with pretty much is off their bloody rocker with the exception of the mm. little girl. Yeah. Um, but you know, the fucking blind monk <laughs> just fucking with him yeah. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> you know, he's, he's just trying to make his way through the world. <laughs> and just got hot soup in his lap and shit. And Laying his finger on fire. It's, and it's not, it's not like complex jokes. It's not trying to be really clever, I wouldn't say. Like you do get that in some in in a lot of comedies now. Like the the comedies that don't age well, right? Because they're try they're observational humor. Right. They're really trying to like just comment on fucking whatever's going on and get some get some cheap laughs through shock value. And and, and I won't say I don't satire. laugh at that stuff. I the, it can God be knows. good. But yeah, like God knows that's a lot of fucking my comedy. And there, there are movies that just like are of their era that don't age well because they're so of their era. Um, Like a a good classic example of this that I always go to is the movie Juno, which got Mm -hmm. a lot of like awards buzz and was very critically well received at its time of release, but hasn't really had a lot of staying power. Um, People who were around when the movie came out remember it fondly but it hasn't like stood the test of time i i don't hear people say oh let's go back and watch juno yeah 
let's go back like oh i see i hear like two people say let's go back and watch super bad a super bad was i feel a little more groundbreaking and um it it's humor is is not it's not like so of the times you know who, who directed super bad um, I think that's. I don't know if Judd Apatow directed yeah, it. That's who I was thinking of, though. Was Judd but Apatow? But it, he, yeah, it's it's an Apatow movie. And if you want fucking apples and oranges here, is Judd Apatow's like riffing impromptu, just like two pe- like couple dudes hanging out kind of comedy versus this the mannered, put together setup and payoff fundamentals of comedy kind of, um. Uh, show you know display here yeah uh greg matola was the director of super bad okay uh but super bad like i think is is you know less because it's not so rooted in the mid-2000s mm-hmm. it's kind of just you know it's a story that a lot of people can relate to you know you're about to right. go to college. You want to do some business, and that's why the movie's been fucking copied so much. You know, like it's a relatable thing, right? Like it's relatable, and it, but it's relatable like on the surface level of and like the details of of yeah. the the plot. Whereas you know, when in this movie, the characters relatable on like a much more like fundamental yeah. level the like characters character are level. a lot yeah. more formed in this for sure like young and frankenstein the, is is a comedy that is i i guess you would call it very character driven and not super mm-hmm. like joke driven you i oh all right this might be like beating an old drum being dead horse but like uh cloris leachman as frau blucher <laughs> was like i don't know maybe this is a fucking stretch but i would call that a pretty strong female character oh no for like sure a really well character well you know, well characterized you know and like good motivations i feel like if you go back and actually look at women through the history of film you will find quite a few strong female characters yeah yeah that are um, a whole lot more relatable and likable than the strong female characters push today. But but I digress. Um, in that, I, I bring that up because that kind of ties into like the heart of this film, which was again the arc of uh, the uh, the creature, in that it actually had something to say about Frankenstein, you know, and yeah. like here's how you know just because he looks like a monster and can't articulate himself uh doesn't mean he's something to be feared and yeah, despised and like he you just need to if we're all smart people if you use your smarts to help others well <laughs> his soliloquy his soliloquy at the end of the movie is basically like the moral of the story with Frankenstein mm-hmm. uh just spelled out very plainly for all to all to see and you know they they drive that home well enough you know it it takes the the unexpected turn 
where you know everything works out for the end. He just explains himself and like, well, well, that's an entirely different matter altogether. <laughs> well, what do you say? We'll all go back for um, coffee and uh, oh, fuck. What? What's the inspector say? I. Like, I don't remember. We'll go out for beer and pretzels or some shit like that. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they all, they all both get their, the girl mm-hmm. at the ends and, you know, everything works out. Which, yeah. I was going to say, that's a joke that I didn't catch was the, um, the fucking one where he's, they're in the, he's in the cave, the creature's in the cave with the bride. And, mm-hmm. And they're fucking going at it. She's like, "Oh, you, all you guys, you're all the same. Just seven or eight quick ones, and then you're off with the boys." <laughs> Which is like, a, that is a fucking excellent line. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad I came back to catch shit like that. Yeah. So, so obviously, if you haven't seen it since you were a kid, definitely worth a rewatch. Yeah, it's uh, it's available on HBO Max. Um, always a good time it's not particularly long um get your halloween themed entertainment in there if you're for your halloween comedy mm-hmm. um and just and, an all-time classic comedy yep do not watch the monsters watch or the monsters movie watch this instead um yes. we didn't compare this as much to monsters as we probably could have but I think that would be denigrating young frankenstein by comparison it's i mean how many times can we say uh, one movie's well written, the other movie's not. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. basically what it boils down to. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely can give Young Frankenstein a recommendation. Thank you for tuning in to episode three thirty six of the Saturn Studs podcast. We'll be back next week with uh, Black Adam, I suppose. Yep. And sorry, Jake. Uh, yeah, Jake Sucks will again not be on as as mentioned last week. Jake will be missing this show and the next two shows mm-hmm. as he is uh being wed and then immediately going on his honeymoon. So, um he'll be indisposed for a moment, so you'll you'll have us to look forward to each week. Um and until Don't, don't worry, the show won't be any shorter for it. Slightly shorter. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, (laughs) So until next time, be well, stay safe. Party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.